All right. God's righteousness upheld is the little title above. There it says, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? If you guys remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about, you know, we talked about Abraham gets told by God, hey, you're, I'm choosing you. Now go home and, and <laughs> circumcise your household. That would have been the most awkward conversation when he walked back into the house. His servants were probably like, um, can I file for unemployment? You know, like, can, can I get another job? But think about this, though. He, he obeyed God. God asked him to do something in the physical to prove that he loved God. So he says, much, is, much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracle, oracles of God. Well, if some were unfaithful, does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And Paul says, no means. No matter how unfaithful we can be, which it can be pretty bad, we're, we're human. That's why we need a Savior. That's why, I mean, it didn't take long for Adam and Eve to sin when they lived in perfection and they chose their own way. He says, just because you're unfaithful, just because of our unfaithfulness, does not make God unfaithful. Let God be true and everyone a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how good God judge the world, but through my lie, God's truth abound to his glory. Why am I still being condemned? Paul's saying, well, if I say yes, then Christianity gets moved on and, and progresses, then why am I being punished for it? That, that's the mindset we have sometimes as Christians. Well, I did this in order to do this. I told a lie to protect them from this because I don't want to hurt their feelings. Or I did this because it's good for this situation. And Paul's like, that just because we do it for the good of something doesn't make it right. You guys, I mean, come on, we've all done that. Told somebody a lie because we didn't want to hurt their feelings. Yes, I've done that, okay? I'm just saying I've done that. Yes. But that's, yes. I am. That's okay. Ask my wife. Sometimes I'm a jerk, right? Am I a jerk sometimes? Yes. Am I a jerk sometimes? Yes. Say, okay, I'm a jerk sometimes. We're all sinners. The great thing is we have Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world. But Paul says, just because you do something to push the gospel, to push the kingdom ahead, doesn't make it right if you do it out of sin. But if you, through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us of saying, their condemnation is just. So he's saying, you've, you've done this. We've lied about things in order to propel the gospel. And he says, their condemnation is just. That's pretty, that, a lot of people kind of gloss over that and move on. He's saying what you've said or what they've said about you is correct. That's hard to hear sometimes. Because here's the thing is, no matter how good we are, no matter how righteous we act, how, no matter how many good deeds we do, we're still hypocrites when it comes to sin and holiness. Because none of us are holy on our own. 
And then it goes on to say, verse 9, Then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For already, we already charge that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned to their own side. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. The Spirit's moving behind the scenes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but Paul says, righteousness, there's no one righteous except for the man Christ Jesus. There is nothing righteous, and no matter what we do, it's the heat kicking in. That's what we're hearing. Thank you, Jordan. Um, do you want to go home and close my windows too? <laughs> okay. um, there is no one righteous except for God, who is all righteousness, and the man Christ Jesus who came to earth and was righteous. But he says everybody turns to their own side, becomes worthless. I mean, it's hard to hear, but he's telling us the truth. On our own, in our sin, we are worthless. We have no worth except that God loves us. And that he, saw, he sees some value in us, in, in our worthless, sin, sinful state. He sees some value in us. He sees something of good in us that he wants to have relationship with. Even though we're not good, he sees something in us that he wants to, to have a relationship with us. But then he says, no one does good. No, not even one. No matter how much good we do, without in our sin, it doesn't count. Paul says, all of my acts, all of my good deeds become what? They become filthy rags. But what's even worse is, is what he says in verse 13. He says, their throats are open graves. The venom, oh, excuse me, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. What he's saying is, your mouths are death. In our sin nature, even in, in being washed in the blood of Jesus, our mouths can be death. He said they're open graves. They're spewing out hate and slander and every vile thing that we can possibly do. What does it say? It says the tongue is what? Is, is like a rudder of a ship. It's like a small flame that creates a wildfire. It creates an uncontrollable fire. Anybody else got their mouth? get them in trouble, say stupid things. Be like, yep, you hear it coming out of your mouth and you're like, how did I just say that? And you're just like, why did I? You're like, as you're coming out, you're trying to repent in your head as it's coming out of your mouth. And how you're like, and, and what happens is, is this, is we, our minds and our mouth have to come into control of our spirit. They have to come and control the Holy Spirit. So what we say, what's coming out of our mouth, and we're regretting it as we're saying it, doesn't happen. That's why he says our, their mouths are open graves, because death comes out of our tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. So what, what do you like, life or death, what is coming out of your mouth? Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace, 
they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know what's really cool? Is he's talking about us. He is talking about us. And no matter what, we, we can try to justify ourselves and be like, oh, you know, I've got Jesus, but he's still talking about us. Because we still have a sin nature. We still have a flesh that likes to sin. And we have to bring it under control of the Spirit. But he says, in these few couple scriptures here, he's just saying, hey, this is who humans are. This is how we act as a normal human being. This is who we are without God. It says, now we know, in verse 19, the law, it says, to speak those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He's saying no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you are, is not going to make us right with God. It's not going to make us justified in his sight. The only time we are justified in his sight is because of the blood of Jesus that has been shed for our sin when we accept him as Savior that covers our lives. He sees us in this waterfall, this cascading flow of blood that covers our lives. When, he, when God looks at us, he sees the blood of his son that covers us. You guys remember in um, the Old Testament, in um, Exodus, they're getting ready to, or I'm sorry, end of Genesis, Exodus, they're getting ready to leave Egypt. And what does he do? He says the, sends the angel of death as the last plague. And he says, take the blood of a lamb. And he goes, what I want you to do is I want to put it on your doorpost. So he says it has to be over and on the sides. And every, t- every um, doorpost, every house that has that blood over their house, the angel of death will pass over. And this is, he's, he's not talking the Egyptians He's talking everybody in Egypt. He's, not, he's saying, if you are an Israelite and you don't do this, you will not be spared. So what does he do? He, they, the people, they go and they cover all their doors. They cover the doorposts of their house. And the angel of death passes by. And the ones that weren't covered, the Egyptian homes that weren't covered, and who knows some of the other ones, their, their firstborn children were, the angel of death went to that house the firstborn died, and it moved on from house to house, and the wail, and it says the wailing increased. Can you imagine what the sound coming from Egypt at that moment was? Watching all the firstborn children of, of the, the families in Egypt, all these different families being killed. But what he's saying is that we're not justified. The blood of Jesus has covered those doorposts. That covers our lives so that the, 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 the angel of death doesn't touch us. I'm not saying we're never going to die, but the, 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 the angel of spiritual death, the, the, the form of spiritual death that we will never have to experience because we are right with God, where our, the blood of Jesus is covering our lives so we can be with God forever and eternity. But the righteousness of God through faith, verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So 
They lived by the law. It was, oh, we have to do this and we have to do this and we have to be right with God because we say this and offer this and, and give this as a sacrifice. But it says it's been manifested apart from law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, he's not saying the law was bad. He's just saying that the grace and the righteousness of God has abounded apart from it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. I'm going to say that again. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. The righteousness of God is, is a free gift handed out to anyone who has faith in Christ Jesus and believes. You cannot read anywhere in Romans for more than five minutes without realizing that we need to be justified through Christ Jesus. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, I was on the phone earlier this week and I was at work and, and this coworker called me and she said, she goes, my mother-in-law is dying. She has cancer. And she, this woman's a Christian. And I, and she said, I said, well, is she saved? And she goes, I talked to my father-in-law and he said, yeah, we're, we're okay. We're all good. And I said, do you know that? I said, do you know what they believe? She goes, I don't. And I said, do you know what the Romans wrote is? And she said, no, I don't. And I said, okay. I said, let me email this to you. And, I, and it broke my heart that she didn't know what that was. She didn't know the basic scriptures of understanding that we need a savior. And not everybody knows that. And I'm not condemning her or anybody that doesn't know that. But it just broke my heart that she didn't know how to, to walk. Her mother-in-law was very non-responsive. I said, but you know what? At least you can talk to her about this. And it broke my heart that she didn't know what it was. I'm like, we should all know how to lead someone to salvation. Lost my spot, sorry. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's, and, justify, and are justified by his grace as a gift. You got to remember this. We take it for granted so often. His grace is a gift. He could lift it if he wanted to. But he won't because he's too good for that. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation, propitiation basically means to appease, to make a alternate sacrifice for. By his blood, to be received by faith, this is, excuse me, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins it was to show that his righteousness at the present time so that we might be just and the justify excuse me so that he might be just and the justifier of the, the one who has faith in Jesus i think sometimes we we take righteousness too far and we're like oh well i have to do this to be righteous no it righteousness you do nothing to be righteous let me explain this say okay Open your ears. You do nothing to be righteous. Righteousness only comes from Jesus Christ and God the Father. You cannot do anything to earn it. You cannot do anything to make it better or, or lessen it. Righteousness is in a pure 100% form only through God by Christ Jesus. And you can't do anything to cheapen it. You can't do anything to dilute it. But, but 
Paul says, do we continue in sin and, and lessen his grace? No, we don't. But what he's saying is, is you can't dilute it, but don't keep on sinning and push. It's, sin is like this. It's like walking up to God and saying, yeah, I know you have righteousness, but... And then keep doing this and keep doing this. Think about this. If somebody kept walking up to you and doing this, eventually you're going to swing on them. Like if they just keep doing that, you're going to do something to stop them, right? But we do that with God. We keep walking up to him with our sin and going, ha, look at this. Do this. We're all guilty of it because we, we, whether we realize it or not, we, we take that jab at God. We just walk up to him and go, hmm. And what Paul's saying is don't, you can't cheapen his grace, but why do we try to push it? And just keep pushing the envelope. We get, you know, well, there's grace. I, I've got grace. And we get this message of, 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 they call it a hyper grace message where I can just do whatever I want and the grace of God will cover it. But that's not true. Because we are going to be held accountable for our sin. No matter if we have Christ Jesus or not, he's still going to say, hey, this is what you've done, but Christ Jesus. And I think we, we spend so much time tiptoeing around the envelope of, oh, I can do this, but I can't do this. And in, I can't do this because I'm a Christian, but I can do this because we justify it in our own minds. But righteousness says, live this way, Follow me, live, in, live inside of righteousness, live a righteous life that is pleasing to God, that it shows people outside of this place, this is who God is. But it says, he is the justifier. We cannot justify ourselves, we cannot make ourselves right with God. We can't make ourselves right with God. Only his righteousness, the blood of Jesus that makes us right with God. We can repent and bring ourselves into repentance to Christ Jesus and say, I did this. I need you to make me right. Because no matter what we do, we can be good. We can say the nice things, but one thing sends us to hell. And it's not God sending us to hell. It's our unrighteousness before a holy God, our unholiness before a holy God that, sends that we send ourselves to hell. Because God is holy. He cannot have unholiness in his presence. Think about that. You know, we, we want to go, everybody's like, oh, well, everything, heaven's going to be this, and heaven's going to be this. And, you know, we have these weird figment, figments in our imagination of what heaven's be like. There's this TV show that's been on for a couple years, and it's, I think it's called The Happy Place or something like that. I can't remember. And it's all about heaven, and it's just the most corrupt, messed up show in the world. And it's like, this is not what heaven's going to be like. Heaven is going to be righteous people in the blood of Jesus standing before a holy God. And we, we want to think heaven's just going to be this place where we can just lay around and do whatever we want. And there's going to be little angels going, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And it's like, no, we are going to be standing before a holy God because the blood of Jesus that has made us right with him, that we have righteousness of Christ Jesus to stand before him and say, I have the ability, I, sh I have now have the right to stand before you. Because think about this. With our sin, the moment we sin, we are totally unworthy, unrighteous to be able to stand before in, or in the presence of God. But God chooses in his love for us to say, I'm going to take someone who is righteous, make them, or excuse me, unrighteous, I'm going to make them righteous, and I'm going to bring them into my presence. Think about this. When the tabernacle was set up before the, uh, before the temple was made, what did they do? They had a priest that would go in once a year. They'd tie a rope to this dude's ankle 
and with bells on them, and they're like, hey, go in, and they're like letting the rope out a little bit more, and he's like, I really hope I'm right before God. His sin had to be confessed. He had to be right before God, and if he didn't, the bells stopped going, and they're like, oh, bell stopped. Oh, time to pull John out. <laughs> Not you. But think about this. They had to be in perfect relationship with God before they could go in and make that into the Holy of Holies. And it's scary to think that we could still be in that, but we have a better relationship with God. We have a better way, and that is with through Christ Jesus, who makes us righteous. So we, the Holy of Holies is, is in relationship with God. The temple is here. He lives in us. He dwells in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us so we don't have to go into a certain place and tie a rope. Because you know what? If they had to tie a rope to Sarah and I's leg, we'd be dead. <laughs> we'd be dead. Because there was no way for us to become righteous and holy on our own. We need Christ Jesus. 600 too many. But he is the justifier. God is the one that is the justifier of our faith. He is the one that brings us into the right standing. Verse 27 says, Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? What kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. We hold that, excuse me, for we hold that one justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, he is the God of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by faith? Or excuse me, the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So what he's saying is, is this, is in the Old Testament, they were justified by faith through their works. Abraham, think about it. He was, God counted what he did as faith because it was obedience. He counted his obedience as faith in him. And God, God said to Abraham, he goes, I want you to go do this. And he said, just trust me that I am who I say I am and live by what I say I am. But God says, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? What he's saying is, is we can't overthrow what God has put in place. He's like, I'm, going, I'm the one that justifies. I'm the one that may, says you are right or unright with me. I am the one that says you have faith in me or you don't have faith in me. And I think one sometimes we, we try to just ourse justify ourselves by the law. We look at the scripture and say, well, I, I live this way. Well, the Pharisees lived this way. And what did he call them? Brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, you name it, they, they were. And, and so many times we try to justify by our, our, our life and our works and say, well, I, I've, been, I've done this and I, I've lived this. And, you know, I, I've talked to people and like, they're like, oh, I hope that the good I've done outweighs the bad when I go, when I die. I really don't ho I hope that isn't how it works because no, ma no matter what, the, the bad I've done and the good I've done, no matter what, if it, the good outweighs the bad, I don't want to deal with that. 
I don't want to have to be like, well, yeah, I did this, but then I didn't do this. And I want to know that when I die, I don't have to worry about the good and bad in my life, that I can look and say, I have Jesus Christ, and he is my way to heaven. But too many times we try to, to, we try to boast in the law, as Paul says. We boast in, well, I did this, and I did this, and I, I followed these commandments. And the Pharisees were like, well, I followed these commandments, and I did these. But Jesus said, you're, you're whitewashed tombs. You'll look good on the in, outside, but you're just disgusting on the inside. He said, you're a brood of vipers. You're, you're waiting for someone to, to sin so you can grab them and to poison them. But we can have faith and we can have works. James says, faith without works is dead. But he's not saying we don't have to have works. See, in the, old, in the law, it was works that made us, it was kind of that works thing that made us right with God. We did this and we upheld this law and we didn't do this and we didn't do that. James isn't saying that's gone. He's saying Jesus came to fulfill the law so we have faith in Jesus Christ and our works are what propel his gospel and what propel his kingdom. So we have to have faith in Jesus Christ, and that is the only way to heaven. So if, there's, if anybody thinks there's another way, they're, they're wrong. Jesus is the only way to the Father. But he's saying our works, and James, say, James is saying, it's not just your faith. Your faith is what makes you right with God. It makes, it's, the, it's the beginning of it, but our works need to go. He's saying, you have to have faith in God, but you have to have works. He's saying, Jesus fulfilled the law, but the law is not abolished. Well, I think too, too many people believe that, oh, well, Jesus came, he died, and then the, the law was just gone. I'm sorry, thou shalt not kill. Great law. We need that. We still use the Ten Commandments in, in our government today. Think about like, oh, we're removing God from the government. No, you don't. If someone kills, what do they do? They go, they get punished for that. We, no matter how much we try to remove God, we still operate by the law. And I'm not talking the 600 whatever stupid laws that they made up. You know, thou shalt not pick your nose on a Friday night or, you know, whatever it is. I'm saying the Ten Commandments, the law that God gave, the laws that God gave, he's, what James is saying is, we live by faith through Christ Jesus. Those laws are good, and it is our works that help propel us. It doesn't make us better with God. God doesn't, oh, you did 10, and you only did 12. And No, it's not that way. What he's saying is that the faith in Jesus is what justifies us, but the works are what help bring us forward. So in a lot of religions, they believe everything you do builds up for this giant wealth when you, you know, when you die. But in our belief, it is Jesus makes us right, we go to heaven. It's the works that we do now that build us up for what the kingdom is going to hold for us. We all get heaven. It's just what we've done in life is how what we see at the end of life. What I'm saying is this, is it's not, oh, well, I get more if I do more. No, I'm not saying that. But what's the, the works that we do now, because of the faith we have in Christ Jesus, build the kingdom. They build the kingdom of God whether we see it or not. 
And when, when we die and we stand before God, the sin, if we are in Christ Jesus, the sin is not looked at, but what we've done in life is looked at. And I'm not saying that, oh, we have to do keep, you know, everybody's going to go out and go, you know, feed 500 homeless people today. No, I'm not saying that that's going to build you, uh, give you more in the kingdom. What I'm saying, though, is God is going to look at you and say, you are righteous in my sight. And what did you do with that righteousness? And it's not going to determine whether we go to heaven or not, but it's just the add-on. It's the, the, the plus when we get to heaven because he's going to look and say, you are my son, you are my daughter, good job, good, job, good and faithful servant. But my question is, is how are we serving and what are we faithful in to, to, be, to look at when we go to heaven and say, God, what, this is, God's like, well, yeah, this is what you did. You had faith in me and you built my kingdom. So my question to you is this, is do you have faith in him? And if you do, what are you doing to build his kingdom? Paul's not saying that the law, what he's saying is the law was not gotten rid of. He said, but uphold the law. Uphold the, the law because it's good. We need the law. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. I'm sorry. Thou shalt not murder. But he's saying, we don't overthrow the law by faith. We take the law and we take faith and we combine them and we live the way that Christ Jesus would ask us to live. Think about this. Did Jesus break any of the Ten Commandments? Did he break some of the 600 commandments? Absolutely he did, because they were not given by God. They were given by, they were thought up by some brain trust in, in, uh, at a late night and thinking, how can we get more money out of somebody? How can we control them more? And we're going to implement this law. Think about this. He fed his his disciples on a Sunday, on the Sabbath, and they were mad because they took the, the heads of grain to eat. But you should feed the poor. But you do, don't do it on the Sabbath. Don't take, a, you know, yeah. That's why Jesus said, hey, if a man lost his sheep, would he not go and find it? So Jesus isn't saying that the, the law of man Scrap it. All these stupid rules that they get, but follow my commandments. But Jesus said, hey, it's easy. Follow my commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the fulfillment of the law. If you do those two things, you love God and you love your neighbor, you're not going to have to worry about the Ten Commandments. Yes, those are, those are good. You're not going to have to worry about breaking those, and you're not going to have to worry about the stupid 600 laws that man makes up to control how we work with God and how we love God. You know, if we, if we think about, you know, in Jesus' time, all of the things that would make you not able to come to church, if you were unclean, or touch someone who was unclean, or you touched a leper, or you, you were around someone who was unclean, seven days of waiting to become ritually clean. But Jesus, if you look at that, what did he do? He sat with people who were unclean, who were socially, per, the social pariahs, the socially unacceptable, 
the social outcast of the day, and he was deal, dealing with those people while the religious leaders were all running around getting their, their robes in a tussle because they were, were watching a man who loved people deal with the sin of people. You never saw Jesus say, oh, hey, you want to be healed? And then just kind of just leave them alone. Jesus was concerned about their spiritual and their physical. And I think so many times we're just so wrapped up in people's one or the other. It's either the physical or the spiritual part of it. But what happens is, is we forget that we need both. We forget that sometimes we need to take care of the physical person and we need to take care of the spiritual person. And what happens is in our own lives, we get out of balance. We take care of the physical and we neglect the spiritual. Or we, or we take care of the spiritual and neglect the physical. And then we wonder why we're out of balance. Because God designed us to work together. Our physical and our spiritual to work together to be one. The law was there to tell the children of Israel, these are the ten things, you, if you don't do these, you'll be, you'll be okay. But they, they kept figuring out how to break them. You know, while he's getting the Ten Commandments, they're down there building some stupid cow. And they're like, hey, by the way, we have, Moses has been gone for ten minutes now. We've got to figure out how to wait and worship God better. You know, I'm, jo I'm joking about the time, but I'm just saying, like, he's like, I just turned around and you're already building like an altar to a, some graven image because you think this is what God looks like. If you really look at it, what were they doing? They were making a, an image of a golden calf. And what was that? It was one of the, I think, the Amorites' false gods. I don't know. One of the ites that they had to get rid of. And it was one of the false gods that they had to set up for. And Moses is like, I've been gone 10 minutes. I give you, and you can't even control yourself. And it's like, and, like, and he's like, I left my brother and my sister in charge. I can't even trust them to do it. Moses went up to get the law because God said, hey, it's going to be simple. God is, God is not a complex God. He doesn't create complex rules for us. He creates simple rules for us. And Moses is like, I'm going to bring 10, he's like, I'm going to give you 10 things to do. God knows what's going on with these people while Moses is up there. Moses comes back with 10 simple rules to follow. Could have been a book, you know, like, hey, 10 simple rules to please God. And he gives them those 10 simple things to follow God. And they can't even do it for a couple days while he's up on the mountain with God. So Moses, you know, in his anger, throws the book at him, literally throws the rules at him. And he has to go back up and get another copy. He's like, hey, God, you got another copy up there? You can print off for me real quick. Um, but the law was meant to be simple and we made it complex. Christianity was meant to be simple. We've made it complex. We, we've, we've made all these, these stupid things the priority. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, people are like, oh, if you're not tithing, you're not this. Well, you know what? Tithe is a love offering to God. It is out of our expression of love to God. And people are like, well, I didn't. I heard someone tell me that if I wasn't tithing, I, this would have happened to me. I'm like, that is not you buying your protection from God. Tithing is not buying protection from God. People, if you think buying, tithing is uh, buying protection from God, increase your tithe to like 90%. Please do. I'm just joking. No. It is not. Our protection from God covers, is covered by the blood of Jesus. 
That is the only way we are covered by God is through the blood of Jesus. Tithe is not a protection. It's not a, it becomes religious to us though. Well, I got to tithe. I got to get, no. Tithing is a, us telling God how much we love him, offering just a small portion of our, of our income that he has provided for us. So if you guys have a good job, thank God for it. If you don't have a good job, pray for a good job. And God, thank, God. thank God. But what I'm saying is, is tithe is not going to appease God, not appease God. Tithe is just a, a love, is us loving God and showing that we trust him. But we've got to quit placing the rules as part of, well, I got to do this in order to be, make God happy, or I got to do this. We talk about tithing because we love God. We've seen it in our life change our lives. We were 20-something. We couldn't afford anything. And we, saw, we started tithing. We saw God change it. Did we have a lot more money? No, absolutely not. I'm not promising you more money because God doesn't promise you that either. God just says, if you, if you love me, test me in this. Test me and I will show you that I am God and that I will provide for you. It's the only time he says, test me. So people are like, well, if I wasn't tithe, no, tithe is just a one-way interaction with God. It is not a two-way interaction with God. God says, I'm going to take care of you, but he promises that even before the tithe. Or he promises that after that in the New Testament, he says, I'm, the tithe was part of the law. People are like, oh, I don't have to tithe anymore. That was part of the law. Well, you know what? Have that argument with somebody else because I'm not going to talk to you about that. But the tithe is just us offering a love offering to God and saying, I trust you enough to do that. And he says, watch what I will do for you. And he said that in the Old Testament. We have a new covenant. said that in Malachi, but we have a new covenant. We have a new relationship with God. And how much more will he bless us? Yes, thank you. And I'm not talking, well, God said I have to give this and I have to give this. You know what? That is between you and God. Don't tell anybody, well, you know, this, if somebody tries to tell you that they have to do this in order to do this. We don't buy protection from God. God is not like that mob guy that shows up and goes, you know, it'd be really bad if something happened accidentally, you know. No, he's not that way. You know, I'd hate for your legs to get broken one night on the way home, you know. He's, he's not that way. God is the, the God that loves us and says, you know what? Whether you tithe or not, I still love you. If you can tithe, if you can't tithe, I still love you. But he says, test me. See what I can do. Yeah. Yes. And so the law was there to help us, to give us 10 guideposts to say, this is how we can follow God. But what we do is we like, well, I'm just going to weave in between them and I'm going to kind of do this. But, you know, and that's where man's law comes in. That's where 600 plus rules come in because we are like, oh, I'm so good. I can just kind of make, I'll make up the rule. Well, if it's, the, if it's good for this person, but it's not good for this person. And that's where the law came. And that's where all the, the man's made law came in. They justified it for one person, made it unjust for the other person. I can do this, but you can't do this. I can do this, but you can, you can do this, but I can't. And that's where faith in Jesus Christ comes in. The new covenant with Jesus Christ, that new relationship with Jesus Christ. He, and when the angels came to earth in Luke, they said, what did they say? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. There's, that was a messenger from God saying there is peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That is God's goodwill towards men that he gave his only son to be born, suffer, die, 
be buried, and then rose again. That is what he, the angels were saying, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God's goodwill was extended towards men that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That before we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we have to do is we have to say, okay, it is not by works. It is by faith that I am justified in Jesus Christ. Works are just a love expression of what we do because we love God, we love his kingdom, and we want to see his kingdom advance. We feed the poor because we love God and we love people and we want to see his kingdom advance. We help people in need because we love God, we love people, and we want to see his kingdom advance. It's not because I'm doing this to make myself right. No, we are right with God and justified through Christ Jesus only. It is his blood only that will justify us. So Paul says, the law is great, but Christ Jesus is better. It is by faith that we have righteousness in God. And we have an opportunity every day to say, you know what? I'm going to make myself right again with God. It's asking him for forgiveness and just getting and saying, you know what, God, give me the, the right words to say. Give me the proper um, motivation today. Give me what I need to do to follow you and to be right with you today. Just because he's made us right one t- and justified us one time and he, he's, we were born again, we still need to live every day like we're born again. Like it's the first day of being forgiven of our sins. Let's pray.